0: Reconciliation is not a set of principles to be followed, but a life to be lived. Jim Van Eperen. We seek reconciliation with the neighbor, not because we feel so much better afterward, but because reconciliation is what God is doing in the world through Christ. Stanley Hauerwas. Loving your neighbor is the easiest when there's very little difference. Loving your neighbor is the easiest when they believe like you do vote like you do, shop where you do, have the same economic status you do, and send their children to the same schools you do. The smaller the gap between you, the easier the bridge is to build. The biggest need for bridge building, however, is when the gap is the biggest. Yet the degree of difficulty in loving our neighbor doesn't excuse us from loving that neighbor. Shirley V. Hoogstra. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God, Jesus. Matthew chapter 5 verse 23 and 24.
1: Challenging sermons in complicated times.com. Okay. Ooh, that's good. Ooh, good. Oh, sorry. Caught me in some last minute sermon prep there. My apologies. But you know what? I think it's going to be okay because it is a good week and a good day every week and every day to gather together to know and become more like Jesus. Every week and every day is a good day to do that. And there's purpose to us being here this morning together. So welcome to the second week in our series, We Are Here. We are here. Here we are. It's true. We're taking a look at some of the things God's been saying to us as a church in between legs on this extreme adventure called following Jesus and being a church community together. And you know what's interesting about extreme adventures is they don't just tend to happen individually as a solo exercise, do they? It's a team sport. And what happens is throughout an extreme adventure, our relationships are tested, they're tried, aren't they? Because we're activated emotionally and spiritually and mentally as a community of people journeying towards something together. And through that testing and trying, bonds can be built that are inseparable as well. And the same thing is even so much more true for us as a community of people stumbling forward and following Jesus together and learning what it means to do that, isn't it? The God that we serve right from the inception of time itself and predating that in a way that we can't even really understand is inherently relational. And we are made in that image. We're given this beautiful metaphor in scripture of us being a body together, each of us being a separate part that's important and has a role to play. And if we're a body together maybe relationships are like the sinews and the ligaments that actually hold us together. And just like in any extreme adventure, those relationships can be tested and they can be tried by external factors that are beyond our control and also by internal dynamics as well. But if we're to be a body operating as one together, that means the business of reconciliation of constantly rebuilding and healing and working together isn't just a one-time experience or a sermon on a Sunday. It's core to our existence and our DNA as a church community. And so talking about reconciliation seems just so fitting for us as a church, as we take inventory of the things that God's been saying to us in recent months. And it's healthy to orient ourselves to a topic like this because it just seems so big, doesn't it? When we hear reconciliation, many of us will think of and associate that with different things. We'll think about the big picture, hopefully, because it's important. We'll think about things like reconciling with our indigenous neighbors. We'll think about racial reconciliation. We'll think about maybe even reconciliation between countries and nations at war. That's good. That's good to zoom out and think about God's reconciling plan for humanity at large. We come closer to home and we think about reconciliation as it relates to our story as a church. We've just been going through the process of understanding and telling our story to understand where we've been so that we can move forward together with Jesus at the lead. And we see moments of need for reconciliation that still exists to this day throughout our history as a church. Repairing and restoring relationships with one another where there's been hurt and tension. We think about the last year. And we recognize that we've experienced hurt. You may have experienced hurt. The person sitting next to you may have experienced hurt or brokenness or tension or confusion that requires reconciliation. You may feel like you need reconciliation to this church, the Meeting House. We as a church have experienced hurt as well. In all directions, reconciliation is a 360 degree part of our identity as a community, both with us and with God. So this is a message and a theme and a core part of who we are as a church right now in our moment. We're speaking to ourselves but it's also something that's much bigger than us and is fundamental to our life as those following Jesus or exploring what it means to follow Jesus. You know, oftentimes we talk as Christ followers about our personal relationship with Jesus, and that's important. Yes and amen. Save your cards and letters. (laughs) But isn't it fascinating when we study the early church how often this concept of one anothering is actually really the priority there's over 100 references in the new testament alone to what it means for us to one another well in your notes this week there's a few examples be at peace with one another mark 9:50 be devoted to one another in love romans 12:10 be of the same mind with one another romans 12:6 through love serve one another galatians 5:13 bear with and forgive one another colossians 3:13 Confess your sins to one another, James 5, 16. As long as we're a body and as long as we have relationships holding us together, our one anothering is going to be core to who we are and a priority for us as a church. And sometimes that involves an especial emphasis on the process of reconciliation. And yet, even the topic itself, we need to approach with humility, realizing we don't have it all figured out. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 23, to people who would have maybe been used to journeying a long way to offer their sacrifices on a physical altar, he says this, if we can put that up on the slide. And even if we can't, we can paraphrase. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Before we even go about the business of coming before God, Jesus is saying, hey, your relationships with one another matter. Loving one another is part of what it means to love me and vice versa. So even today, we come humbly saying, hey, let's start by checking our own hearts. Let's pause and catch our impulse to to talk and react and put ourselves in a posture of listening to what Jesus has to say to us and taking deep comfort in that truth. So, reconciliation can be a bit of a word soup, can't it? It can be confusing and we can ascribe different definitions to the words that we use when we talk about something like reconciliation. There's forgiveness and confession and repentance and restitution. So, how do we go about understanding what reconciliation even is? Well, at its core, of course, it means bringing back together things that have been separated. And that is a good place to start. But for us, it's so much more than that, isn't it? We talked last week about Jesus' prayer for us, his hope for us, being a community that is united together in our oneness in him. And if that's true, if our purpose, as we've been saying, is to know and experience the transformation of becoming more like Jesus together, then reconciliation isn't just a nice-to-have, it's not just something on our to-do list as Christians, It's actually fundamental as an ingredient to our purpose. So let's turn to to Scripture together and dig into this a bit more. We're gonna read from Ephesians 2, verse 14 to 17. Ephesians is near the back of the Bible. I'm not gonna sing it again. But it is very close to Philippians, there's a hint. Let's center ourselves on Jesus and see what he has to say to us through Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, starting in verse 14. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Reconciliation starts with our submission to Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. As I was preparing for this week, I was reminded how often and when was the last time I actually sat with the beauty and depth of love that was demonstrated on the cross when Jesus sacrificed himself for us. If we're Jesus-centered people, then at the center of a Jesus-centered people is Jesus on the cross as the defining moment of our faith. Not because he was killed by his father so he could get a pound of flesh, but because he voluntarily entered into the most beautiful and perfect sacrifice ever in the history of humanity because he loved us that much. We can't even start a conversation about reconciliation until we submit to the power of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Here's the one person in the history of time, who had every right in that moment to be reminding people why he was right, fighting back, challenging decisions that were made. And what does he do? He lays it down, not because he was manipulated, voluntarily as an act of sacrifice, loving us, Praying for forgiveness for those who are persecuting him all the way until his dying breath. That just arrests me. It arrests me in my desire to make sure people know I'm right. To push back against a decision that I don't understand. To fight and to fight and to fight. That's just not the way Jesus did it. In this act, we see in verse 16, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. This act of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross first and foremost reconciles us to God. But reconciling with God is not an independent exercise from reconciling with one another, as we sometimes talk about it. The act of Jesus' death on the cross reconciles us to him and and puts our hostility towards each other to death. Now, the context here is this church in Ephesus has some Jews who are converting to the new Jesus way, but a lot of Gentiles, which is just a word to say, hey, these are people who weren't part of the nation of Israel and by way of their geography and their history have been excluded from this whole God conversation up until this point. And Jesus is saying, the power of what I've done on the cross through Paul's letter can break down any dividing wall between you, reconcile you to me and to each other. Wow. And so how much more for us today as we look at one another and say, who are the people that are just so other than me because of what they've done because of what I've done, because of the beliefs and ideas that we have that I couldn't ever imagine being reconciled with them. And the beauty of what Jesus has done on the cross is that, yes, you can imagine being reconciled with them, not by your own strength, but because Jesus has made it possible. His death on the cross blows our minds with this mysterious cosmic significance that allows our sin to be forgiven and allows us to be released from it in a way that we're reconciled with him but it also paints an example for us of what perfect love looks like and a call to us to live like that with one another the beauty of the cross and what happens verse 18 says it so beautifully now what All of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. This is us continuing the conversation about what it means to be a centered set community. We're not making that up as a model. We're interpreting what we're hearing in Scripture as the way we are to live together. We can come to the Father together with the Holy Spirit inside of us and around us and alive among us because of what Christ has done for us. And the context for reconciliation is always community, isn't it? Step one to reconciliation is actually investing in and building a community that's worth reconciling once brokenness emerges, which it always will. And superficial community crumples under the weight of conflict. Because we realize, well, what's the point in reconciling? There's no motivation. There's nothing for us to go back to if we haven't been working to build a strong community in the meantime. And in that sense, reconciliation is not just a reactive practice. It needs to be part of our core daily life, the way that we see, the way that we exist as Christ followers. Romans 12, 2 paints this beautiful image of our minds being renewed and transformed through the Holy Spirit. But why? Why? For the purpose of us, understanding God's will and changing our lives. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. It doesn't stop there. Then what? Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. This business of reconciliation and working through our relationships is an ongoing part of what it means to follow Jesus. His goal for us is change lives as we transform to be more like him. So what does this mean and what does it look like? Well, maybe we can start with a few counterfeit imitations. Beware of imitations of real reconciliation. The world offers us a few tools. The world offers us the tool of silence and sweeping things under the rug when relational breakage happens, when hurt happens, when oppression happens. Why? So generally we can preserve the status quo and our power structures, and our institutions, and not rock the boat. That doesn't sound a whole lot like what we've been learning about how Jesus calls us to live. The world offers us the tool of canceling one another. The self-righteous act of saying, we're right, that person or people group are wrong, and therefore, they're shut out from the conversation. Hmm, tempting on the surface, but doesn't seem to induce a whole lot of transformation or healing. Sometimes as a world, we like to legislate the narrative. That's another tool we can use, politically or otherwise, through our institutions and say, hey, everybody, this is the right way to think about it and to be in relationship with one another. Get in line. And even if the narrative is good, that also doesn't really promote a whole lot of transformation or relational work on our part, does it? And even within the church context, we talked last week a little bit about just different ways to understand how we can be tempted to operate as churches, and we talked about this concept of bounded sets. And in a bounded set, we talked about how the energy is placed on the boundary, defining and maintaining the rules, the system of beliefs and behaviors that allow us to belong. And reconciliation in a bounded set environment can often look like a whole lot of truth without as much of the love. And our energy can become focused on doubling down on the rules. Hey, we've had conflict. We've got to get that rule book out. Set everyone straight. And of course, boundaries and standards are healthy, but the overemphasis on truth without love is not what we're taught by Jesus and by the early church. We talked about what a fuzzy set looks like. Often the reaction to a bounded set environment where we take away the boundaries because we don't like how they make us feel. And we're left with confusion and we're left with the currency of tolerance, which is a low bar for a community that wants to focus on love. Fuzzy set environments offer us some counterfeit alternatives to reconciliation. They offer us the idea of just agreeing to disagree. We need to remember that our call is not just to coexist in disagreement. Our call is to unity and oneness in Christ. Our call is mutual submission to one another and to Jesus, which is a whole lot different than just agreeing to disagree. The fuzzy set environment also offers us the ever-popular option of forgive and forget. Also tempting. Do the work to forgive, but let's just move on We don't want to do the work to actually restitute. We just want to forgive and move forward. But I want to challenge us that that can be a byproduct of the impatience to restore our own comfort without doing the work to heal. Not a great alternative. So in a Jesus-centered, centered-set community, there are a few... Elements, ingredients, to what reconciliation looks like. And these aren't necessarily sequential or linear. Think of it as an ecosystem of things that need to be happening all the time on a bunch of different levels. One of them is confession and repentance. Confession is that process of self-examination for us where we shine light into the darkness of our lives not so that we experience shame and guilt so that we free ourselves from the corrosive force of shame and guilt within us when we're trapped and bonded to the ways that we fall short we release ourselves from that by confessing our sins and our shortcomings to one another as james reminds us to in james 5:16 confess your sins to one another and you will experience healing When we shine that light into dark areas of our life, we're also reminded not just of our humility and brokenness, that's important, but even more so, we're reminded that Christ has made us new. He's offered us the remedy. And repentance, of course, we've talked about that in recent weeks. Goes along with confession as the act of acknowledging that we've drifted off path and resetting our GPS to Jesus, making that choice to turn towards him. Forgiveness, of course, is another element of Jesus-centered reconciliation. Forgiveness is that process of us softening our hearts. Ephesians 4.32 reminds us we are to be tender-hearted and kind to one another, forgiving each other as Christ has forgiven us. We remember Christ's gift of forgiveness for us and that softens our hearts and inspires us to forgive one another. This was important enough to Jesus that it was right in that Lord's prayer that he asked us to be praying. Accepting his forgiveness and offering it to one another. And sometimes even receiving forgiveness can be a barrier to reconciliation, can't it? We need to offer it, but we also need to be willing to receive it in our own hearts and from one another. So confession and repentance and forgiveness are on the path towards reconciliation. They're elements in an environment of reconciliation, but they're not the totality of reconciliation either. We can't necessarily move past that point on our own. The process is reciprocal and it involves us working together. And we can't force one another to move past a certain stage. But we can create an environment where the soil is tilled for fertile things to happen through self-examination, through confession, through repentance, through forgiveness. It should never surprise us that we mess up. What should surprise us is how rare of a practice it is in a church to create safe spaces for us to confess and to repent and to forgive one another. another key element in a Jesus-centered environment of reconciliation is the work of restitution. This is where we actually, in real time and space, with our real bodies and minds and hearts, put work into our relationships to make things right. It takes time, it takes investment, it takes understanding the nuances and the specifics of your context. Not because we're doing it on our own strength, but we do have to partner with the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst to seek restitution. Confession and repentance, forgiveness, and the work to restitute. And there's some more than just footnotes to this conversation that are really important for us to remember. Even through the work of confession and repentance and forgiveness and restitution, while we're not of this world, we are in it. And there are realities that exist around us. We can do the work and invite Jesus' healing power in us and submit to the work of the cross and accept his gift of reconciliation with us and pursue it with one another. But sometimes healthy boundaries still exist in this earth. Sometimes the process of rebuilding trust takes time. And sometimes there are reasons why we can't, as much as our hearts would love to see it, just restore things to the way that they were. And my guess is that every one of us, wherever we're at in our life, can think of a place and a way that that applies. And it hurts. And I don't have a perfect answer for that. But what I do know... Is that this is why submitting to Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit is so important? Because only He knows where it is that we need to be convicted, where it is that we need to be healed. And this is the scandal, isn't it? He loves both the oppressed and the oppressor so much that in the heart of the oppressed, He wants to bring healing and protection and comfort and a soft heart of forgiveness. And in the heart of the oppressor, he wants to bring conviction and repentance and a commitment to the work of restitution. And you know what's so scandalous? Both end up transforming more into the character of Jesus along the way. and we don't even have to make this stuff up. This also doesn't mean that we're all neutral, equal players when it comes to reconciliation. We need to name that there are systemic injustices. There is oppression. There are acts and instances of offense and oppression in any community, in any set of relationships. Jesus named that very clearly, and we need to as well. We can't force one another to fully repent and take ownership of the things that we've done, but that's a necessary ingredient on the path to reconciliation. So we receive what God has given us through the cross. We receive his gift of reconciliation with him. And we invite one another to respond. We receive and we respond. We need to respond as a church. Wherever we were at in our journey, we'd need to be having this conversation. But again, we're not circumventing our reality of the last years, year, even the last week. We have a choice to become a church that prioritizes, even in our constant learning as students of the way of Jesus, the process of reconciliation as a core part of who we are. I want to continue that theme of invitation and say, if you want to be a part of a church that's humbly learning what it means to be a reconciling and reconciled community that's committed to making this a priority, and you want to contribute to that life-changing, restoring, healing way, You're invited. We need to pray. We need to ask God what more we need to do as a church to pursue reconciliation with those who have hurt us and who we've been hurt by. And I want to invite us to respond on a personal level as well, today and this week, with a simple but profound practice. I want to invite us to each conduct a relationship exam. This is a great spiritual practice as part of your daily or weekly rhythms. Just ask the question, how are my close relationships? Where do I need to examine my own heart and engage in confession and repentance, soften my heart in forgiveness, giving it and or receiving it? And maybe, even in small ways, or maybe big ones, take steps towards restitution. And can I find someone to go on that journey with me? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for being a God of love who through your beautiful sacrifice on the cross has made it possible for us to be reconciled to you, even in our brokenness. And thank you that through our reconciliation with you, we can be restored with the hope of reconciliation with one another. May we live and walk in your way, as a community that is reconciled and reconciling today and this week. We love you, Jesus. Amen.